Kunisti, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. Uh, my name is Serica and I'm sitting down with my brother Aaron and we are telling you some more Samhain stories because it is the month of Samhain. So you can find out more about us by subscribing to YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales and you can come see us live. Check our website for details. Uh, for now, though, Aaron, tell us the story. It starts with a great game of hurling. Now, these were strange folk playing this game of hurling. Out in the misty morning, before the sun had fully risen above the skyline, it was kind of a golden hue all across the sky. The clouds were being burnt by the, the rising of the sun still dark and these shapes moved across the grass flickering past as they hit a shining ball from one side to the other and there was a woman watching and she was anticipating the moment when that golden ball would be hit far over the field and into another and it was her job to follow exactly where it was and she had to find it and get it and bring it back. And these men that were playing, all of them tall and pale, strong and rigid, and when the ball was missing, they all turned to her. She scurried off as fast as she could, and they would go back into this brilliant game of hurling again, super skill, flying the ball up and down, clash of ash, and, well, one great strike of the ball was hit and it went over the hill and then they all looked at the girl. And the biggest and the tallest ushered her off as she ran through the hedge grove and around. And when she came above the hill, she saw where the ball must have been. She saw a man. She crept behind the trees, not wanting to be seen. As this man was walking around the field, bending and scooping down. And she, by the track of the flight of the ball, had estimated it landed close enough where this man was right now. And he was picking up small little mushrooms, putting them into his hand, sniffing them and placing them into his pocket. And then he stopped, stunned. He looked around himself. The woman was not very happy when she saw the man pick up a golden ball. He looked around, gleeful, smiling and placed into his pocket, heavy and weighed down. But he forgot all about his mushrooms as he seemed to scurry off in the direction of the local town. The woman was not very happy, it's easy to say. She went back with her head hung low and her feet trailing after as she came back towards the game of hurling. And with the sun rising, it was coming to the end of the game for these fairy folk as they all turned to her. I didn't find it. The tallest, the meanest, the angriest and the strongest turned to her and said, go and keep looking. They all went back under a hill and the woman, head hung low, she wrapped a shawl around her and the wind now cutting and although the sun was rising it was not warm and she felt the cold bite of the air even more as she walked in the direction that this man had gone and she wasn't quite so sure where he had gone she saw other houses and well it was something in the way that she followed her footsteps that she managed to find a hill 
beside a small house, of, beside a farm with cattle next to it, pigs beside and a few hens laying eggs, and something inside her thought, here, must be here. She stood stock still and waited and watched. Soon enough, the back door opened and the man she had seen in the field came out and stretched. He was very happy with himself. It must have been a few hours. It was now late afternoon. And, well, he was stunned when he saw this woman and she looking at him and he looking at her. She didn't do anything. She didn't move. She didn't say anything. She simply stared. I don't think she had much going on as to how to approach this man, but, well, he looked shocked. He looked like a man who'd been hit over the head and was somewhat happy about it because he easily welcomed her. How are you? Are you okay there in my feet? Yes. Are you lost? Yes. Where is it you're going? I have a job on a farm. Well, he wasn't really paying attention to all that she was saying. He was so besotted with the words that were flowing out of her mouth. He simply said, come inside now, we'll have a cup of tea. Yeah, I think you quite like it. Uh, sit down, we'll warm ourselves up. Uh, they chill in the wind now, you know. Come on. So, she came into the house. And now the house was not a tidy place. This man, as he introduced himself, and Gartine, by the way, uh, was living alone, a bachelor, at his age, a farmer, wealthy enough, for, but modest as well. And he lived alone and it looked like it. House was not hiding. There's there's a lot of dust by the wall. Ah yes, well uh, I, I just had the local nacing in you see to do a bit of a job on the uh, the gable wall and well never mind about that now at all. Uh, he was in for another job as well. <laughs> but let me tell you, I'll get you tea. They sat down and well Gertine talked quite a lot to her and well she was very happy to listen as she sat and listened to who he was, how he made his living, how he managed to not take a wife, but was still kind of looking for one with a bit of hope out there. And, of course, he told her all about the hens and the pigs and the cattle he had, trying his best, I'm sure, to impress her. She not smiled and didn't give too much away about what or where she was from. Eventually, he said, no. If you're off to an old job in a farm that you can't find, well, I'll tell you, there's plenty of work to be done here. If you, like, I could maybe match and even do better than the pay that you were offered before, and I wouldn't take no for an answer, if you were willing to give me a yes. I can, I can work here. This is a job. I can do a normal job like a normal person. That's very normal. The man was overjoyed, and... Well, the woman who eventually told him that her name was... I think Mary. Indeed. That Mary would be coming and working in this house while he was overjoyed and delighted and he couldn't tell her how happy he was. Well, they agreed on a wage and they agreed on the work that she would do, mainly cooking and cleaning and tidying. And while he was out in the fields, either, you know, scooping up the shite for the pigs, feeding the chickens or milking the cows or bringing the meat or milk to the local farms. I mean, 
market. Don't and market. Market. That she would be doing the jobs in the house. And that was agreed upon, and that was the deal, and that was fine. Well, Gertine couldn't believe how well this woman working. As this woman was working, all that was going on in her head was... Have to find it, have to find it, have to find it. Where's the ball, where's the ball, where's the golden ball? Have to find it. Oh, I have to find the golden ball. And every day she would bake and she would cook and she would give a breakfast to Gertine. Gertine forward. Get out and go and work, get out. He would go off and work. And of course, as soon as he was gone, she would look all over the house, under the beds, under the mattresses, under, uh, under the sink, looking in between all of the presses, emptying the cupboards, and not a sign of it. A whole week and a day went by, and certainly there was not a sign of it. Every time Gertine came back, well, she would scurry and tidy and clean and be about the place, dusting and polishing and cleaning things. Normal. This is normal. Normal amount of cleaning. He couldn't believe how spotless the house was. After one week, after a month, it was like a new home entirely. Now, after a while, she began to search a bit more radically as she began to go through all of the, the wood in the shed. Now, thinking that this man was obviously a wealthy enough farmer, but he didn't spend much. And she was going to have to find where he'd hidden this golden ball because she thought, after all, he must have put it away as a nest egg for himself. He was probably planning on retiring on the golden ball, she thought. He was probably waiting to, well, spend it in his old age, on his retirement, because he didn't seem to be spending much at all during the days. So she went to the shed and she took out all of the wood searching underneath the floorboards into the crevices of the building itself, taking every bit of wood out. But she lost track of time. And when Gertine came home, he was very curious as to why. It, there was this, there was one spider, I think, because I, it was dusty. I, I needed to dust the wood pot. The wood shit? It's the normal thing to do. Everyone does it. Don't know why you're looking at me like it's not normal. It's very normal. She rearranged the wood then into the shed with the big log, the small log, the very small kindling in, in front. And well, when Gertine saw that, he thought... Look how normal. Very normal, I suppose, yeah. And so, well, the following day then, she was searching everywhere. So annoyed she couldn't find this ball. It was racking her brain. The oven. So she began to pull it apart, take it out from the wall and searching behind, in between, everything. Well, when Gertrude came back, her head and shoulders were stuck inside of the oven and... I'm cleaning, I'm doing a deep clean. I'm doing a normal deep clean. Huh. He left her at it. Following day, well, she was going through the bins. Everything in the bin, out in front of the house. Gertrude thought that was very strange. No, it's not. It's normal. You don't recycle enough. This is very ordinary and normal. Cartina had never heard of recycling. No one had at that time. Very strange concept. But it was something that came to her. And so she was beginning to seriously worry that she could never find the golden ball. After all, she'd searched in the hen house. She searched where the pigs slept. She searched even in the field of the cattle, but no sign of it was found. And she began to give up. She began to lose faith. She began to worry that one of those dark, pale-faced beings would not be so happy with her anymore. And so one morning, 
she stayed in bed and didn't have the energy. Suddenly, the energy gone from her body. She couldn't get up. The weakness, the heaviness, the, the colour she felt raining from her cheek and the bang on the door woke her. And, are you all right in there? You're not up and there's no breakfast on the table. I'm normal. I mean, I'm, I'm coming, I'm getting up now. She rose herself, but her team was kind of shocked by the look of her because she did very much seem like she was shaken pale. But she went about and she baked and she cooked and she cleaned, but slower now. Cartine left worried and she kept on looking, but now it was almost pathetic how she looked, for she knew she wasn't going to find it. The next day again, she awoke with a bang in the door. I'm just gonna stay here. That's fine. You stay. Rest up. Rest up. Cartine, well, he cooked the breakfast, not very well, but he cooked it all the same. He brought it into her. And, and she was struck by the kindness of the man. All he'd ever done was be kind to her. All he'd ever really done was try to help her in some way, in some meagre way, it just seemed to pass the time. Even the nights where they spent down by the fire, she seemed to well, remember with fondness now the music he would play. Although at the time, all was going on her head was the worry and the thought of finding the golden ball. Now that she thought back on the days she spent, she thought how nice they were. The third morning she heard the knock and she couldn't even bring herself to speak. She had no strength left in her at all. And Curtin came in, worried and fussing about her, but a haze darkened her vision and she couldn't even see the shapes moving around her. She heard the words of doctor and she heard potion and medicine and a new voice, a stranger doctor and another voice and another doctor. And well, although maybe medicine was given to her, Cartine watched as she was declared dead. Now, Cartine was heartbroken. And everyone in the town that was close to Cartine, well, they knew that he was definitely in love with her. And had at one point even asked her to marry him. But she simply said, no, I don't have time, I can't now. It seemed like she was always occupied or preoccupied by something else. But Cartine had loved her still. And so they'd have a funeral for her. A proper one, a wake that would last three days and three nights. And so he had savings. He was not a poor farmer. And so he invited most of the town, even his own relatives. He didn't know her own people, and so he couldn't invite her. So there was no one from her side of the family or her people to be invited. She lay in the coffin, outstretched in front of everyone. And the big room was laden out with food and drinks and well he spent a pretty petty on it, penny on it and well music was played by the fire open as it was and everyone came in with fiddles or whistles or what have you and music was had and they were trying to tell good stories and happy stories but well Curtin was very sad till late into the evening sun setting low strange wind did blow and the door flung open and they all looked up at a strange, tall, dark-haired man, pale skin and big, 
beady eyes. He straight strided on through with the coat cloak flapping around him, and he strided straight up to the coffin. Well, Mary stood bolt upright. Where is it? He oh, said. I didn't find it. She fell back down as stone dead as she ever was, and he turned around and whisked out the door. Everyone was silent, shocked, horrified. Whisperings of otherworldly beings were going around. The priest couldn't take it and he left himself because he had no explanation of what was going on. And he wouldn't come back the second day either. But they all did. They wanted to keep Kurt in company after all. But this time there was less music, less stories, less jovial. Did they really see what they had seen the night before? Had Mary really sat up in the coffin and spoken to another being. Well, sure enough, at the same time as the second night, the door flung open and a man came striding in, big cape wrapped around him. Where is it, he called, as Mary stood straight up into the coffin. I didn't find it. She fell back down. He whisked her out and went back out. Now, Gertine didn't know what to do. And so he asked the voice of a local, Timine was his name, he seemed to know a thing or two about the fairies, about the changelings, supernatural oddities, although most of the people, being very Catholic and religious at the time, wouldn't want to talk about it. But Timin came and said, Ah, yeah, better be one of the other crowd, all right. This woman, no doubt, was stolen away by the, the good folk. Sometimes they steal boys from cribs. Sometimes they steal women. They whisk them away and they live their life underneath the hill. And if you know nothing about her, maybe she knows nothing about herself. Cartine was horrified to hear this. Whisked away. No wonder she had never told him anything about her. She didn't know it. So they all gathered around and Timine told Cartine the only thing to do was to ask the man what he was looking for. He had a suspicion he knew what it was. Sure enough, at the same time, the third night this time, the door flung open and there stood a tall, dark man striding across the room. But before he could get to the coffin, Gertine intercepted him. Hang on a minute now. You keep on coming in here and you tell everyone, oh, what is she looking for? What is it you're looking for in yourself? Man stood tall, glared down at Gertine, said, our golden ball was stolen. It was her job to get it back. Now, Cartine realised that golden ball that he'd found almost a year ago to the day. And this golden ball, he almost laughed. You know, now, I'll go get it. You see, he had had a mason at the house at the time, at the Samhain, to fix the gable wall. And when he had got home, he realised that he didn't want to be spending this golden ball, but sure enough, it could be his retirement. He had asked, holding it behind him, the mason, to knock out one stone of a shelf that was up above the fireplace. He didn't really use the shelf anyway, and he wanted to maybe fill it in. And so, the mason thought nothing of it. He licked it with cement, and as he turned around to grab a stone, well, Curtin placed the ball straight into the open and dusted it up with soot from the fire. Well, stone went in and locked it in place, and above 
mantle always beside the fire that's where the golden ball had been all this time it was no wonder Mary couldn't find it and so he ran back in and he got a hammer and he built the stone three hard knocks he gave until it came loose and there he reached in with all of the soot from the fire around the ball he ran back in and gave it to the big joy man as they call him the joy man took the ball dusted it off saw the gold shining brightly in his eyes his emerald eyes shining with gold in them he put it in his pocket and as he was about to leave God, he said no 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 you can't leave her like that you must give her back to us. I've given you the golden ball. Joyman looked around the room and nodded in agreement. A price for a price. So he turned and walked back to Mary and he whispered something to her. It seemed to lift something, a veil or cloud or shroud off her and walked back out the door, never to be seen again. That's the rosy colour came back into Mary's cheeks and the beauty and suddenly she stood up out of her coffin everyone aghast and she turned to Gartine and said Do you know you asked me something a while ago ask it again In front of everyone there a lump came to his throat <laughs> Well I suppose I asked you would would, would, would you marry, marry me? Well, no one's ever stood up for me before. And I've, even before I went away to the other place, not been as happy as I was when I was here with you, so, yeah. Well, seeing as they had the drink, they had the food, and they had, well, they didn't quite have the priest, but they had the church booked. Well. So ran down to get the priest and he hopped over a few hedges and came down and they were married that day. And Cartina Mary, they say, lived for a happy time. Ever after. <laughs> Didn't know retirement fun though. Well, it wasn't the custom of the time. <laughs> but they lived modestly and happily for quite a while anyway. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this podcast was a story told by Aaron Hegarty, produced and edited by Oshin Ryan and Alan Homan, with music by one or other or both of them. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales if you'd like to support us. You can like, you can subscribe, you can comment, you can go over to YouTube and rack up a few views there. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. Subscribe! <laughs> you! <laughs>